Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning and we reflect on the greatest, the greatest event in all of human history. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and became the, the first fruits, <laughs> the first one to, to rise from the dead and, and to give all of us hope of that resurrection. God, as we reflect on that this morning, um, may our hearts be softened to your word. May we understand why it matters so much and why it's so important in our lives today. Thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. I know David already did that, but I really, I just love doing that. Um, we should probably do that every Sunday. It's always true. Um, the resurrection being being to, being the day after the Sabbath is like one of the main reasons why like the the New Testament Christian church traditionally meets on Sunday. You know, it was just kind of like the first day of the work week before. But um, it's, it's exciting to gather. It's exciting to open God's word. It's it's exciting to reflect on what God has done. Um, in our own lives and then to zoom out from our own lives and, and look at the timeline of humanity and the incredible work that God has done. I mean, this, 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 the, the life of this man, Christ Jesus, who is also God in the flesh, is as much as, uh, as, much as the world wants to deny the, his, his existence or the truth of his claims, we still split the timeline based on his life before Christ and in the year of our Lord. They change it now. It's, uh, it's before common era and common era, which I refuse to use. Um, but interestingly, it's still split in the same spot. <laughs> uh, it's impossible to deny there's, there was an event that changed the world. And it is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, if you want to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 28, I just want to, I just want to read the, the first part here and, and, and reflect on, on the story of the resurrection. Um, we didn't have a good Friday service here. I, I hope some of you maybe took the opportunity to go to a, a local church that had one. Um, it, we, we've done that in past years, and that's always kind of a nice uh, reflection. I'm going to be honest, there's, there's some incentive for me to not do one. Because that's one of the we didn't go this year. Okay, full disclosure, but like that that is like one of one of the times that like I get to go and just be in church, and uh, I always look forward to that. But um, let's read here, starting in verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his hands, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. Uh, such a powerful, such a powerful scene. Uh, we spent some time with our with our family um, this these last couple of days to kind of go through the the story of the the, the Passion Week, the the crucifixion, and you know the the the, the story of Good Friday. You know why? What's Good Friday about? You know why? Why did they, okay? If that's what it's about, then why do they call it Good Friday? That doesn't sound very good. Christ on the cross is the best news for us. Because apart from that, apart from him, we would still be dead in our sins. And so while a, uh, what seems like a horrible story on its, on its face is actually the best story for those of us who are saved by it. So um, if, if you'll turn, with your, turn your Bibles now with me to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to spend most of our time there this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is in the, the epistle that uh, Paul wrote to the uh, church at Corinth. Chapter 15 is, is pretty universally regarded as kind of the definitive work on the resurrection. And not just like the Easter story part of the resurrection, but why it matters so much. And I want to answer a couple of questions this morning. And the first one I want to, the first question I want to answer is why is the resurrection so important? This is something that we, we don't really, I don't know, sometimes we don't think about this. We, we talk a lot about Jesus died for our sins when he hung on that cross and yielded, yielded up his spirit to the Father, that he died for our sins. I mean, didn't that save us? I mean, yeah, in the story, you know, he rose from the dead and like that's, that puts a really, really nice capper on that story, but like, does it matter that much? It matters a whole lot much. And uh, I, I want to want to reflect on that this morning. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 19. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. Okay, he, he's making, he, this is a little, I, I don't know if this is hard to follow the way that he's, he's saying this, but he, like there were people during that time, I think there are still people today who um, want to believe in the, the, the good man Jesus who taught us some really good things about how to live and, um, you know, that Jesus was a good man. Um, and so we believe in him. And, and maybe he even, he, you know, he even died. Um, but resurrection, I mean, come on, he was a man. This is, this is a belief that, that Paul is preaching, is teaching against here in this passage. And it, and it's a, it is essential that we believe in the resurrection. And, and here's what he says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. This is a powerful thing that Paul is saying. He's saying, he's saying, the entire thing hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, if the resurrection wasn't true, then none of it's true. If the resurrection isn't true, then there's no point in believing any of it. No matter, no matter what you like about what Jesus taught, no matter how um, nice of a person he was, no matter how much he didn't deserve to die on that cross, none of that matters at all if not for the resurrection. First of all, the resurrection proves Jesus' claims. First of all, um, so uh, let's start with this. Jesus claimed that he would die, which he did, and that three days later he would raise from the dead. Now, in case you're doing the math and saying from Friday to Sunday isn't three days, like Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, not three days, the way the Jewish um, people counted days was that part of a day is a whole day. So you got, he died Friday, that's one day. He went into the grave. He was dead all day Saturday. That's a day. And he was dead Sunday morning until he was raised from the dead. So that's three. Okay. So anyway, I just want to clear that up in case some of you are like, yeah, this doesn't... He said three days. He only did two and a half. No, that's the... No. Um, three days. He said that that's what would happen to him if he does not raise from the dead. And then what does it matter that he prophesied he would die? I mean, I could prophesy that I'll get arrested robbing a bank. And if I go and rob a bank, for sure I will, right? So that, like, my, my point is, like, you could set up the first part of that and make it happen. You can't set up the second part unless it's for real. And when Jesus said, when Jesus said that I will be crucified and three days later I will raise from the dead, it's kind of a big deal. You can't, can't fake dead for like, you know, that long. He was dead for real. And he for real rose from the dead. It proves his claims. It proves not just that he said it would happen, but it proves his claims to his deity. Jesus didn't claim to be a good teacher and a good man. We're not really given that option. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He called it the trilemma, which is like a, a dilemma is a problem between two things. A trilemma would be a, problem between three things, that the choices we are given uh, about Jesus do not include good teacher. Good moral teacher doesn't work because Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed uh, to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed that he would raise from the dead, okay? If those aren't true, he's crazy. And that's that's the point that C.S. Lewis makes. The choices we are given are he either actually is the Lord or he knew it wasn't true and he was just lying. So he's either the Lord, he's either a liar, or he thought it's true and it's not, and he's a lunatic. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And those are the choices you have to pick from. Good moral teacher doesn't, doesn't make the list. A good moral teacher doesn't claim to be God. A good moral teacher doesn't, doesn't lead people to, you know, to follow something that isn't true. But no, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus did raise from the dead, 
proving that all of his claims to be God are in fact true. Only the power of God can bring life where there was death. Demonstrates, it, it proves his claims. It demonstrates Jesus' power and deity. We are called by Scripture to believe in Jesus, to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for our own salvation. If we are, if we are believing in a power that couldn't even save itself, how could that power save us? It is essential that Jesus raised from the dead. Otherwise, how do we have hope that we ever could? The resurrection is the hinge on which our, you know, the, the, the hinge on which our salvation swings. Um, and so as we, as we go a little bit further in this, in this um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 passage, uh, pick it up here in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in case you haven't picked it up on when Paul says fallen asleep, he's talking about died. We do it too. We say passed away. We say went home to be with the Lord. We say um, kick the bucket. You know, okay, so there's less, there's less, uh, less, um, less refined ways to say it. We have all these euphemisms for dying. Fallen asleep is one that we see in Scripture. It's, it's, it's a way that, that Paul is... Uh, and it's also a way that Paul is... Paul purposely refers to this. Jesus referred to this about a child who he was about to raise from the dead, that he is only sleeping. And uh, maybe that's where it comes from. But the idea that we as believers will raise again, be raised from the dead in the resurrection... To be with, with the Lord is, uh, is communicated in that. They've fallen asleep. In other words, when you're sleeping, what do you typically do at some point? You wake up again. And that's, so it, it, communicates, it communicates died, but with the hope of resurrection. Okay, back to the text. Uh, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, the Father is not subjected. Uh, anyway, uh, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. There's a, this phrase here in verse 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want to I want to focus on that for a few minutes this morning because we need to recognize the design of creation in order to really wrap our heads around why death is an enemy. 
Um, so if you want to keep your finger in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, or if you got one of these cool little ribbon things, you can put that in there. Um, that's what those are for. I've seen one of my pastor friends has one of these Bibles that has like two or three of those. And I was like, ah, that's what you need for preaching. You mark all your scriptures. Um, but t- turn your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 3. I thought for a split second about quizzing somebody on that. Genesis chapter 3 should immediately register in your mind as the chapter of the fall of man. The fall of man from grace, from the, from the Garden of Eden and, and fellowship with God to being cast out of the garden because of sin. Genesis chapter 3 is another one of those moments that changed the world forever. Genesis chapter 3. Now, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but the first part here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God say that? No, that's not what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Skip ahead here to... um, Verse 17, and I want, to, I want to look at what God says to Adam. Because 1 Corinthians 15 references Adam because in Adam all die. So what is it that God said to Adam that pronounces death on all of us? And here it is. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten, the tree, eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In that moment, did God strike them dead? No, but they began to die. And if we understand death rightly, we see that actually a part of them did experience death. They experienced spiritual death in that moment. That spiritual death is this. Death is, is at its core, the meaning of death is separation. We understand this, that when when we lose someone that is part of our lives, we are separated from them for the rest of our lives. We cannot... Talk with them. I mean, okay, maybe maybe you've done this, and and uh, I've done this a little bit at my own grandfather's grave. You stand there and you kind of talk to him because it makes you feel better. Um, okay, but they're not there. We are separated. 
We are absolutely separated because of death. And, and in that moment, they experienced separation from God. Pick it up here in verse uh, 23 of chapter of Genesis chapter 3. He says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. They were separated from God. They were separated from fellowship with Him. They experienced every day in the cool of the evening, God would come and walk with man. They would experience this perfect fellowship with God. And that was torn from them in that moment. In that moment, their spiritual death occurred. When God had to cast them out from His presence because He cannot allow sin in his presence. And I, I, I take us here because it's important for us to, re- to recognize that in God's perfect design, before Genesis chapter 3, in God's perfect design, there was no death. Adam and Eve's marriage, which I think we can see is the first institution ever, and God performed the first ceremony. There is no holier institution than marriage. God invented that before government was a thing. That marriage was going to be not till death to his part, forever. Because they wouldn't have died. In other words, we weren't created for temporary relationship. Why do you think it hurts so bad when someone we care about passes away? See, there I do, I'm saying it. They died. When someone... When someone that we care about and we love, when we lose them, it hurts because that fellowship is broken and we weren't made for that. God didn't make us to experience that in our relationships. God made us for fellowship, for relationship that would be forever. And sin broke that. Sin separated us from God and sin, by bringing death into our world, would ultimately separate us from each other. Death is an enemy. According to Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death is the enemy. It's important for us to recognize that death is the result of a lie that distorted God's design. God's design didn't include death, but death was brought into that design through a lie. What did the serpent say? will not surely die. Well, we know that's not true because they surely died. Death is the result of a lie that distorted God's design. God's design in creation didn't include death. God's design in redemption eliminates it. But how? Because that seems so we say that in God's life, so, so Jesus, by his resurrection, defeats death. So why then do people that we love who do believe in Jesus Christ, who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, they still die? So is that true? The last enemy to be defeated is death, and yet those who believe in Christ still die physically. How can that be true? 
Well, going back to our understanding of what death is, death is separation. Death is separation. Separation for the believer is temporary. Praise the Lord. We say this all the time. We will see them again. What did Paul write? That we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You see, we still die. The effects of sin, the effects of that lie in its distorting of God's design are not, until Jesus comes back, going to be avoided. The thief on the cross next to Jesus who believed in him said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That man still hung there until he died. Physical death will still come for us because that enemy will not be ultimately defeated until the end. As far as, as far as us physically. But understand that the power of death, and this is, this is where the, you know, we're, we're going to get to this. Um, if you look a little bit ahead in 1 Corinthians 15, see if you have one of those ribbons in there, you can turn to it real fast. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, he, uh, if you skip all the way down to verse 54, he, he quotes the, the Old Testament here. He quotes Isaiah where he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, the sting of death for the believer has been taken away. Oh, sure, we're still sad. We still miss the person that we love, the, pe- the person that we are now separated from. But the sting of death for the believer is not the same. Because we know that ultimately we will see them again. Our fellowship will be restored And that death does not get the final word. Death does not have the victory anymore over us. Praise praise God for that. You see, even though a lot of us and a a lot of people fear death to some degree, maybe you fear heights, maybe you fear illness, maybe you fear, I don't know what, getting in the car and driving down Florida Avenue. You should fear that, okay? You should. That's scary. Also, anytime you're behind the wheel or inside a 2,000-pound, like, bullet cruising down the road at 60 miles an hour, yes, 60, even on Florida Avenue, you're not supposed to, but everybody does, that should scare you, (laughs) because death is imminent. But but there, I, I want us to think for a second and realize we all, to some extent, accept that death will come. Right? Whether we think we fear it or not, to some extent, no matter how much we're afraid of it, we know that someday our lives will end. This isn't all bad for us. Knowing that our time is limited creates an urgency to believe the gospel. Creates an urgency to share the gospel. It certainly should. Knowing that these people I care about who who don't know the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. I should, I should be aware that their time to believe that, to hear that and believe it, is limited. There is a 
death gives us, knowing that death will someday come to us, gives us a, uh, an urgency to spend time with our kids. We know that they will grow up and move out of our house someday. And there's, a, there's an urgency to kind of make the most of the time that we have. But we all accept it. And I make that point because we can be lulled into this sense that, like, even though we don't like it, death is just part of life. It's part of the, it just happens to be the last part. Um, but, you know, it's like, it's just kind of the way it is. And we accept that and move on. But, but what, what Scripture is telling us is death is the enemy. It is an enemy to be defeated, not by us, but by Jesus Christ. You see, we look at the, at the story of Adam. You have a man who has perfect health. He has every advantage. Okay, almost every advantage. He didn't have the completed scripture or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So those are not small things, okay? He didn't have that, but, uh, but didn't yet have a sin nature, okay? So I think those cancel out, all right? He, has, uh, he, has, he is married to the most beautiful woman on the planet at that time. He is also married to the ugliest woman on the planet at that time because she was the only woman, but that's not important. Um, he, he, is, he is married, like, he doesn't know any difference, so it's fine. Um, he's got everything going for him. He has perfect fellowship with God the Father who walks with him in the garden. He has everything he could ever want to eat. He has everything going for him. He's not going to die. In fact, his life is so simple. Now, he has a job, like he works the garden, but apparently it's not that hard because there's no thorns or thistles and he doesn't sweat that much. But he has every advantage. He has everything he could, he could want or need. All of this is supplied by God. And yet, he's given one rule, literally one rule. The penalty for which is... Um, quite steep, and yet, just like we would, don't believe, don't even let yourself believe the lie that, man, if you could just trade places with Adam, you had a good thing going, and you would have, you, there's no way you would have done that. You would have been like, Eve, sorry, you got to go. Uh, no, no, you wouldn't, because look at everything Adam had going for him. If he couldn't resist, didn't resist, neither would you or I. Adam is a, is a, this is, I, I, I do not, I'm not teaching that the story is allegorical, but he is, I think, I think the Bible's true. I think that is the account of how sin came into the world, but he is also representative of all of us because we would do the same thing. As in Adam, all die. We are all still bearing the consequences of that sin. And so, and so as we look at our, our original ancestor, Adam, what we get basically is despair. Because of his sin, which becomes our sin, life is hard. We have strife with each other. That's, that's, in, that's in, the, in, the, in the curse that, that God gives, gives to Eve. This, this, uh, he, God says, okay, well, now there's, now there's this hierarchy. 
and there's going to be power struggles between you. Your, your desire will be for your husband. That doesn't mean that part of her curse was that she was just going to be enamored with her husband all the time. Uh, no, this is part of the curse. When he, you know, he says, your desire will be for your husband, what it means is your desire will be to take his place. Your desire, it's, it's, he's talking about the power struggle that um, I'm sure no one else experiences in this <laughs> Um, as part of our fallen condition. So in, in Adam, we get all of that. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. I thanked my dad one time for my chicken legs because he's got them too, you know? Like, that's what I got from my dad. But you know what else we got from our dads? Sin nature. He got it from his dad, and he got it from his dad, and he got it from his dad all the way back to Adam. We all have it, and we are all affected by it. It's hopeless in Adam. But Paul tells us here in verse 22, as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is so powerful. Turn, turn really quickly. Uh, I know we're kind of going all over the place, but turn with me really quickly to the book of Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, same guy also wrote this. You pick it up here in verse 12. Now, it's always tricky to pick up anywhere in the middle of the book of Romans because the book of Romans reads like not just a theology book, it is a continuous argument that builds on itself. It is, the, it is one of the best books for us to read as Americans because it's the only one in the Bible that is written for Western thinkers. Our thought processes are not unlike the Romans. We think more about what something looks like than what it really is. Look at our politics. <laughs> you know, you know we, we think more about um, you know, what somebody says than about what they do. We, you know, we, we, we think like the Romans thought. And so the book of Romans is like written for us. It's an argument that continually, it, it's very linear, it, it, you know, linear thinking. It's this, therefore this, therefore this. And if this is true, then also this. It's great. If you haven't read it through, sit down and read it all the way through. It will take you most of the day. But all that said, we're going to pick it up in the middle of the book of Romans. So we have no context for before, and it's the middle of an argument. But, but what he says here is, therefore, there's the therefore. We don't have time for the context, sorry. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Justification, that means declared righteous. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Paul really expanded that argument that he made in 1 Corinthians in his book to the Romans. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we look to as a symbol for our hope. And, and in, case, in case it wasn't enough to hear and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, just as a, a, a precursor, as a demonstration of his power, in, in the moment when, when Jesus breathed his last, he's on the cross and there's an earthquake and the temple, the temple curtain is torn in two. Do, do, you, do you catch the little footnote in the Gospels where it says, and many graves were opened and people <laughs> started walking. People that had died before rose and were like proclaiming the truth about God. You think that would get a little bit more of a paragraph? Like that seems like a really big deal, but it's just like a little precursor. Like just so you know, he can do it. Not just for himself, he can raise others. He rose Lazarus, raised Lazarus back from the dead. He rose from the dead himself. It is our hope. The resurrection is the most important event in human history. Oh, sure, Christmas is great. Like, God put on flesh and dwelt among us. But Christmas happened for a reason, and it's Easter. The whole reason we have a baby in a manger is so that we have a man on the cross and an empty tomb. Without the empty tomb, the rest of it is just a story. Just a story that makes for something nice to read about but has very little impact on our lives because death will come for us all. And without the hope of the resurrection, we are still, what does Paul say? We are still lost in our sins. Our faith is futile. And we of all people are most to be pitied. I pity the fool, right? What fools we would be to believe that if it weren't true. But praise be to God, the resurrection is a real thing. Jesus, the first fruits, and all us who believe will follow. Our separation from one another is the result of sin. It's the result of a distortion of God's design, but it's not forever. Praise God, it's not forever. We do not grieve like the rest of men. This is not a day for grieving. This is a day for celebrating. This is the day that we commemorate the whole reason why we have hope. The whole reason why we gather together every Sunday and we talk about these things and we study this book. Why does it matter? This is why it matters. Because Jesus Christ has been raised. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so important that we believe what you say in your word. 
It is so important that we grasp the truth that Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He demonstrated His power over our greatest enemy, death. Death is the greatest enemy. And we can fail to even see it as the enemy. Because it's so universal that we've just come to accept it. God, help us to help us to see and appreciate. It's not so, it was never supposed to be like that. But you made a way in your great love for us. You demonstrated that you could do the thing you promised you would do. You created a perfect world. We fell from that perfect grace through sin. You made a way to redeem us and make us your own. Made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. But you don't stop there. You plan to restore us someday. Because we know that even now, we have some fellowship with you. But like Scripture says, it's like we see in a mirror dimly. But someday we will see face to face. You have a plan for our restoration as well as our redemption. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the resurrection that we all hope in. Thank you for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.